You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to all of you. Glad that you are here today. We begin a brand new series out of the book of Judges and we're calling it The Conquerors. And um, I hope that the next several weeks you'll, you'll be here, maybe bring a friend with you, or even kind of read ahead in the book of Judges if you want to, so that you kind of come prepared, kind of knowing some of the stories. What we're going to do is find Jesus in the book of Judges, and we're going to make sure that we understand what it looks like to, to live a life of victory, to live a life that, that is a conquering life in the name of, of Christ. And there's a little, little subtitle that you'll probably hear a few more times in, in the coming weeks, and here's the, the subtitle of, of the series, All of Us in Life. We either be conquered by life or we'll be conquerors in this life through the power of God. So all of us in this house, we're either going to be conquered people this week. Life's going to conquer us or we'll be conquerors in this life through the power of God. So either the conquerors or the conquered. That's kind of our weighing point, kind of our decision point for this morning and for this week. And I pray for this semester as we see in God's word what it looks like to live a life that means that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So to get to the book of, of Judges, we're going to need a, a running start. So we will start at the very beginning. Uh, Julie Andrews says it's a very good place to start. So we'll kind of start back this way and get a big launching pass. So we'll start back in the book of Genesis together. So the Genesis, the, the Greek word is genesis, and it means origins. And so in the book of Genesis, you have the origin of all things, the, the origins of language, the origins of, of government, of, of creation, of, of humanity, and certainly the beginnings of Israel. And there in the book of Genesis, God gives Abraham three promises. First of all, it gives him a promise of land. And we certainly read about that land all the time, the promised land, the land of Israel, the land of, of the Israelites, the land of God's people. That is talked about every week. That is fought over, it seems like, every few seasons. That is a prime piece of real estate there in Israel and in Jerusalem more specifically, and more specific than that, even the Temple Mount. In fact, C.S. Lewis said that every square inch of the universe is claimed by God than counterclaimed by Satan. I would say that's probably no more truer than it is right there in, in Jerusalem. So God gave Abraham three, three of these promises, a promise of land, a promise of blessing and a promise of children. So this all happens during, in the book of, of Genesis, the origins of all things. Then we come to the book of Exodus. Exodus in Greek is exodos, and it means the great exit or the big exit. And there in the book of Exodus also, we have the giving of the law. That's in Exodus chapter 20. Now, why did God give the law? He gave the law so that God's people could stay in the protection of the blessing. The blessing that was given to Abraham, God said, if you want to remain in that blessing, stay in that blessing, then obey these laws. And so he gave these, these 10 commandments. Anytime God gives a command, God gives a rule, it's for our good. It's for the protection of our, of our blessing. Moms and dads, we do the same thing. We, we give rules, hopefully good rules that are for the protection, for the blessing of our kids. Jennifer and I did this with our kids. We didn't let our kids or told our kids, if you see a snake... Like, don't pick it up. Like, it's, it's, it's poisonous. And so that would be a good rule for you, son and daughter, not to, like, pick up snakes. We had a rule with my son, especially about my, my straight razors in, in, in my bathroom. I, we had a, a rule, you don't touch those things, you don't dig through the drawers. That wasn't because I was that, you know, obsessed with, with my razors. I didn't want my son to, to cut himself. We had a, a very clear rule 
that you never pet a cat because they're possessed. And so you should never, <laughs> never do that. Don't look at a cat in the eye, you know, whatever. Just kind of run away as fast, fast as you can. That was a good rule for our kids, right? For the protection, the blessing of our, of our kids. Good parents make good rules for the protection, the blessing of their kids. That's the Ten Commandments. They were a protection for, for God's people. They might remain in the blessing. So you go straight from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus. Now, why is Leviticus there? Because God knew we would disobey those 10 rules. And so Leviticus is, is the way to forgiveness, the steps to forgiveness, how we can find forgiveness in the sight of God. God knew that we would disobey those rules, even though they were good rules for our health, for our protection, for our blessing. And so in the book of Leviticus, you see really three things that God sets up. He sets up a, a, a system of sacrifice. He sets up a, a day of atonement and he sets up a, the position of a priest. Like in that already, you can see that Jesus is on every page of the book of Leviticus. Jesus on Yom Kippur, that, that day of atonement or our Yom Kippur, at one time, at one moment, he forgave all humanity for all their sins for those who would believe. God set up this system of sacrifice. Christ came as the system of the sacrifice. The system of the sacrifice in the Old Testament was the currency of blood. Without the spilling of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And in Christ, we see the spilling of his blood. We also see Jesus as our great high priest. What is a priest? A priest speaks to God on behalf of the people and speaks to the people on behalf of God. And certainly that is a picture of, of Jesus for us as we see in the, the book of Leviticus, this need that we're going to have for forgiveness. Then we come to the book of Numbers the book that you always stop in and read the Bible through in a year plan, right? We kind of get there and go, man, this is, there's just too much. The numbers is, is the count. It's the count of all the people. It's what happens is Moses gets the people on the east side of the Jordan River uh, in a town called Kadesh Barnea. They're trying to decide now that they have left Egypt, you know, can they, can they make it into this land that's been promised to them through the promise of, of Abraham? And so he sends in, Moses sends in, of course, 12 spies, 10 come back and say, we can't do it. Like there's big people there. There's earthquakes there. It cannot be done. Two came back and said, certainly by all means, God has promised us this land. Let's enter the land that the Lord our God has given us. Well, they went with the majority. And so the 10 came back and created fear in, in, in the ranks of the Israelites as they're waiting there on the east side of the Jordan River. And they decide to disobey God. So God sends them into the desert for another 40 years. I mean, what's 40 years to God? He sends them into the desert for 40 years and the old generation that disobeyed the Lord, the old generation that was faithless to God, God allowed them to die off so that now a brand new generation could come in, a, a younger generation. And so here comes probably 80-year-old Joshua and 80-year-old Caleb and probably 105-year-old Moses and they're bringing with them all the middle schoolers and all the college freshmen, like all the, the, the younger generation to bring them into the promised land. Then we come to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is deuteronomos. Deutero means two. Nomos means law. And so there'll be a second giving of the law. Why a second giving of the law? Because that first generation had heard the law, disobeyed the law. So now the law comes again in Deuteronomy chapter five. And so Moses brings that law to the people and pretty much says to them, your parents would not obey this. We'll see if it sticks with you. The older generation was faithless. They were disobedient. Let's see what this younger generation will do with the word of God, the rule of God, the law of God that is there for the protection and the blessing of God's people. What we already see in the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, we see this. God is full of grace in the Old Testament. And he's already giving second chances to his people. So for those of y'all who might think that God was mean in the Old Testament and he's nice in the New Testament, 
Let me just tell you, God is fully God everywhere and at all times. 100% love, but also 100% justice, 100% uh, mercy, but also 100% holy. And so here we see in the Old Testament, the kindness of God, the grace of God, already giving a second chance to the people of God. So at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses gives about five sermons and he dies. And now Joshua steps up as the brand new leader. So we come to the book of Joshua. And Joshua is all about the conquest. It's all about entering into that land, going into the promised land, the entrance into the land that God has given them. And in the book of Joshua, we see 31 battles, starting with the, with the battle of Jericho, that lasts for 13 years. And then the land belongs to the people of God. They, they go in and they drive out the Canaanites or the majority of the Canaanites. They drive in and they take this land over the course of 13 years, 31 battles. Now Joshua dies at the end of the book of Joshua and now we come to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we will see God's people as either the conquered or the conquerors. They'll either be champions because of their trust in the power of God or they'll be beat down because they do not trust in the power of God. Now, Judges chapter one through eight is all about the enemy from without coming to attack God's people. The, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the, the Canaanites, they come from without and come to the promised land of God and they attack the people of God. So, so God calls up these incredible judges, um, Othniel and Shamgar and Deborah and Ehud and Gideon. And these judges step up to the plate and they are able to, to push back the enemy from without that was coming in. Now, the reason we're skipping Judges 1 through 8 right now is because I preached this about five years ago, even though no one was here five years ago. But if you were here five years ago, you might remember that we preached through Judges 1 through 8. So if you want to go back and learn about those five judges and what that looks like, you can go back to our um, Highland podcast and kind of catch up on that. Because what happens through one through eight, let me say it again, the enemy comes from without. But in Judges chapter nine, everything changes. Now the enemy comes from within. And we see someone who is called up to be a king, not a judge, but a king, by the name of Abimelech. The enemy was coming from without in Judges 1 through 8, but now in Judges 9, the enemy is coming from within, and Abimelech is no hero. In fact, in classical literature, he'd be called the anti-hero. And here we see that God does not raise up a judge, but listen, the people raise up a king. And now they have to be underneath the consequences. You know, sometimes God just allows us to, to sit under the consequences of our choices. Sometimes God says, Is that if that's who you want and that's what you want, I'll let you have that. If that's who you want to vote for, I'll let you have that. And sometimes we just sit underneath those consequences. In fact, in a classical definition also of judgment, really all that is is God allowing us to live out the consequences of our choices. There's an overarching theme all throughout the book of Judges. You might want to write this down because here, here, here it is. A person is conquered, then destroyed from decay that moves from the inside out. A, a person is conquered, then actually destroyed from that decay that moves from the inside out. There is on the screen behind me a picture of Nikita Khrushchev. Khrushchev was the premier of the USSR back in the late 50s and the early 60s. In 1960, he said something like this. Some people said it kind of got lost in translation, but I don't think there was any doubt to, the, uh, to his desire, to his plan. He said in 1960 of America or of the West, we will bury you. 
Well, he came back in 1963 when this picture was taken, when he was at the UN, and he kind of changed his tune a little bit, but what he said was, was this, actually, we don't have to bury you. You will crumble from the inside out, speaking of our country. I think probably Nikita Khrushchev, as evil as he was in so many ways, and as dark as he was in so many ways in his heart, he was probably onto something. The enemy from without can be unbelievably strong. The enemy from within can be stronger still. There's a second little part I want you to see that decay begins when we move away from the things that are holy to God. So we see the overarching theme of, of the book of Judges is that a person is conquered, then destroyed from decay that, that moves from the inside out. Isn't it amazing that spiritual growth and spiritual rot happen from the inside out? And decay begins to happen in our lives, the life of a nation, the life of a church, when we begin to move away from the things that are holy to God. This is what's happening here in the book of Judges. The people of God are moving away from holy things of God, such as worship and calling God as the one true God. Those are holy things to God, and they were moving away from these things. They were moving away from, from seeking forgiveness from God. They were moving away from the sacrifices. These are holy things to God, and the people of God are beginning to move away from those things. The same thing can happen today in our hearts. When you and I move away from the holy things of God, such as the cross, the cross of Christ is a holy thing to God. And when we move away from the cross, decay begins to happen from the inside out in our hearts. When we begin to move away from, from the sanctity of life, pre-born and post-born, we begin to move away from the things that are holy to God and spiritual decay begins to happen. We begin to move away from, from the authority of God's word, from, from the community of the church, from the richness of our salvation. We begin to move away from those holy things of God. Spiritual decay begins to happen in our lives spiritually. So let's go to the book of Judges together. Would you go with me, please, to Judges chapter eight. Now that we've kind of gotten a good run up to the book of Judges and we kind of know the overarching theme of the book of Judges, would you turn in your copy of God's word with me to Judges chapter eight? Let's go to verse 33 together, the very end of chapter eight. Judges chapter eight, verse 33. So this is the winding down of, of the great judge Gideon. Chapter eight, verse 33, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and they whored after the bells. Or your Bible might say, New American Standard, they, they played the harlot. Or NIV, they, they prostituted themselves. Or if you have the King James Version, I think it says that they went whoring after, after the bells. And they made Baal Berith their, their God. What that means to... To whore after, it means they left their first love and they chased after a cheap imitation. They left their first love and their covenant relationship with God and now they're chasing after these cheap imitations, especially here, the God of Baal and made Baal bereth their, their God and the people of Israel, they did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. This morning, I just wanna show you from scripture four things, and they're going to be under the heading of when a person forgets God. And this, this may not be you today. Maybe it's been a season in the past. There may come a day that you begin to remember no more the Lord your God. But I would imagine also there may be a lot of us in the house today, we have friends or relatives and they have, they've forgotten God. 
Let's see this morning what it looks like when a person forgets God. We, we read the very first thing right here in verse 33 and verse 34. You can write this down. Their hearts return to rebellion. When a person forgets God, moves away from God, then their hearts automatically begin to return back to sin, back to addiction, back to strongholds, back, back to rebellion. This is what's happening here in verse, verse 33. So Gideon, he dies, and immediately, without the presence of a godly leader, the people of Israel, they turn again, because they've been doing this all throughout the book of Judges, and they, again, chased after or hoard after the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. Bel Berith in Hebrew means a covenant with Baal. As Christians, as New Testament Christians, we are in covenant with God through Christ Jesus. And that covenant bears a lot of things and it means a lot of things. Let me tell you primarily, when you and I are in a covenant with God, it means this, that God has made a commitment to us, made a covenant to us that he will act on our behalf. That's one of the first blessings of the covenant. God promises his people, you, in Christ Jesus, God will act on your behalf. Here's the second blessing, or maybe the the second picture of, of covenant. He will forgive our sins. So he'll act on our behalf, he will forgive our sin, and here's, here's the beautiful part of the covenant. He will commit, or he has committed, to love us unconditionally. See, that's what it means to be in a covenant with God, what is so strange right here is that the people of Israel now, they want to leave that covenant and they want to enter now into a covenant with, with Baal. And what is so interesting about this is that Baal cannot act on their behalf. Baal cannot forgive them. Baal will not love them unconditionally. And let me just say this to every brother and sister and friend in the house today. None of our idols can do that. None of our idols are able to love us unconditionally. None of our idols, anything that we might bow down to outside of Jesus Christ will love us unconditionally, will love us purely, will be able to act on our behalf and forgive our sins. And here we see a nation filled with people who forgot God and as they begin to forget God, they turn back to this time of rebellion. Look at verse 34. It might be the saddest verse in all the book of Judges. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. It doesn't mean they forgot there was a God. It does not mean that they forgot about his acts of of deliverance. It means they chose to turn their back on God. It means they made a, 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 a statement of volition in their hearts that I am moving God down my list of passions. I'm moving God down my list of priorities. I am choosing to turn away from him with my choice, my heart, my decision. This is what's happening with the people of of Israel. They were sliding God down their list of passions. In Judges chapter eight, verse 35, let's continue to read. And it says, and they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, which is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. So here's this leader uh, kind of his nickname was Jerubbabel, which means to contend with Baal or to fight Baal. And so his name, Gideon, he was often called Jerubbabel. Just a, it was a warrior statement, a statement of, we know that you have fought against the enemy. You have fought against those who bow down to other idols. And it says right here that the, the people of Israel, they no longer showed love. They no longer showed their faithfulness, their kindness, their, their, their thankfulness to the family of Gideon in return for all that they had done. This is interesting. Here's what happens when someone forgets God. Second point, there's no respect for godly voices of the past. 
for that godly woman or that godly man that spoke so many words of wisdom into you, you no longer want to hear them. You want to forget the words of wisdom and godliness that maybe a grandmother, an old Sunday school teacher shared with you or a children's minister shared with you or someone who discipled you or a mom or a dad or an older sibling as they spoke love and as they spoke wisdom into your life and they pointed you to Jesus. Someone who has forgotten God, they turned their back on godly voices of the past. This is why, senior adults, we need you in this church. And I, I, I hurt for churches that are just filled with 18 to 24 year olds and they miss out on the 60 and the 70 and the 80 plus year olds. We need you, we need your voice. We need to hear from you. Let me also plead with you today, senior adults, and I'm not gonna tell you if you're a senior adult or not. You can figure that out on your own. There's, there's not, a, not a number I'm about to throw out. I'm a much smarter person than that. So if you consider yourself a senior adult, let me plead with you, please love Jesus and fear God. Because you inform us, you disciple us, you shape us by your love for Jesus and your fear of God. Because those who'd forgotten God, they didn't want to hear any more from the voices of the past. They wouldn't have any regard for, for godly voices that had once shaped them and once led them. Judges chapter nine, let's read on with kind of the crux of this narrative here this morning. Judges chapter nine, verse one. Now Abimelech, here's our kind of our anti-hero of, of the morning, who was the son of Jerubbabel. So this is Gideon's son, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember, as you're making that decision, that I'm your bone and I'm your flesh. In other words, remember, I'm, I'm your son. So we begin to see kind of this political whispering happening. Gideon is dead. He has left 70 sons, no, you know, certainly by a lot of wives. And here comes Abimelech, comes to his mama and says, hey, what would be better? Would you mind kind of whispering this around town? Would you mind getting in the ears of some of the leaders around Shechem and tell them, would it be better to have 70 rule over us or just one? And mama, as you remember that, please remember, I'm your favorite son. And of all my mamas, you're my favorite mama. And so we see a political action committee stirring up now here in verse three. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, well, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Belbaris, so out of a pagan temple, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows. He, he brought on his own posse, his own gang who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, not Oprah, but Ophrah, and, and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel. So catch this, he kills his brothers. He kills all the sons of Gideon, 70 men, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem, they came together, and all of Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king there by the oak of the pillar Shechem. Here's the third thing that happens when a person forgets God deception and godless chaos will just fill the empty spaces. If there's nothing else you catch today, I want you to understand this 
very accurate spiritual truth. When godliness is gone, godlessness enters in. When you do not live in truth, immediately lies begin to rush in. There's no neutral ground in our heart. It is always following God or following ourselves, following God or following the world. And here, they, they've forgotten God. And so in forgetting God, look at all these other things that begin to, to rush in. Now that they have forgotten God and they've forgotten to listen to godly voices of the past, now deception comes in. Godless chaos comes in. We see it in really three different forms. We see it here in verse, verse one through three of, of, of Abimelech gathering his mother's relatives together. Say in the ears, it says here, verse three, say in the ears. Here's the first thing that really the deception and the godly chaos, here's how it manifests itself. Self, or excuse me, ambition. Like self-promotion. Like just, I want you to see me all the time. I want you to see me lifted up. So Abimelech comes and he begins to self-promote. He begins to whisper in the ears of his mom and all the relatives that, hey, it needs to be me. I need to be the king. I need to be in charge. And so anyone who forgets God and his deception and godless chaos begins to enter their heart, the first thing that we see is this self-promotion. Second thing we see is in verse four, when they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Belbarith, with which Abimelech just hired this gang of worthless and reckless fellows. That's the manifestation of compromise. I will take from a pagan temple that I might have money to hire some people around me. You see, when you begin to minimize God, you begin to maximize yourself. And so here's this ambition and here's this, this compromise. When you move away from God, you begin to move towards self-promotion. You begin to move for, for, for this compromising. When you forget God, Highland, there's no more conviction. You just kind of do what you want to do with no remorse. This is what it looks like to move away from God. Really the third thing we see here is in verse five, and he went to his father's house and he, he killed the brothers of the sons of, of Gideon, 70 men on one Stone. Here's how that's manifested. It is ambition out of control. Here's a guy that says, I will be self-promoted. I don't mind compromising along the way because I want to be the king and I'll do whatever it takes for me to be the king. I'll take whatever, I'll do whatever it takes for me to be in charge. This is ambition out of control. And I want you to see this. I bet you saw it already there in verse five. This is not a slaughter. This is a sacrifice. 70 men on one stone, a stone tablet, an altar. So really what Abimelech has done, this is how ambition gets out of control so quickly. He has said, I will sacrifice my 70 brothers to the God of Baal. I will compromise anything. I will give anything. I will be the king. Judges chapter nine, verse seven. Remember Jotham, the youngest back there in verse five, he, he was able to slip out, he hid himself. So in verse seven, and when it was told to Jotham, so Jotham now knows that his 60 plus brothers have been slaughtered, have been sacrificed. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and he cried aloud and said to everyone below, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. 
When a person forgets God, there are three consequences. We've seen it already. They are three acts of consequences. They, they're showing that no love for voices in the past. They return back to rebellion. They, they, they long for and even believe in deception and godless chaos. But here's the grace of God. The fourth thing, when a person forgets God, God always provides a way to return for those who will listen to his voice. So here's the young brother. Uh, some theologians I read kind of guess that he's a teenager, maybe 14 to 16 years old. Some think that he might be, might be in his 20s. There's really no telling how old he is, but in my mind's eye, he's kind of a younger man. And he sprints up to the top of Mount Gerizim, which overlooks kind of the valley of Shechem below. Uh, Shechem is, is, is in a valley. And Gerizim, you could stand up there and you could literally, literally speak from the top of this mountain and people below would be able to hear you in the valley below there at Shechem. And so this young boy, Jotham, probably young, stands up there and he says, listen, listen to all you who are leaders down there. If you will listen to me, I want you to know God will listen to you. And God has a word for you. God's about to speak. And next week, we're gonna see what God says through this young prophet now by the name of Jotham. He stands up on the top of Mount Gerizim and he says, there's a way. There's a way back home. There's a way back to God. There's a way if you will listen. I need all the leaders, he says, to listen to me, that God may listen to you. Highland, stay with me here. There's one voice in the middle of the darkness. One voice of life in the middle of death all around him. And he stands up and tells these people, look to God. It's a picture actually of Jesus. Jesus is the greater Jotham. Jesus is the better Jotham who stands in the middle of our chaos, who stands in the middle of our culture, who stands in the middle of death, who stands in the middle of darkness and points us back to God. Once we have forgotten God, look at the grace. There is one that he sends to call us back to him. For anyone here today, you have found yourself in the middle of self-promotion Reckless ambition, ambition out of control, compromising even on the small things. I plead that you would hear this. There is a voice that is calling you to go back home. There's a voice that points you to the Father, a Father whose arms are wide open for your return. Jesus is the greater Jotham stands in this congregation today saying, listen to God, return to him, go back to the king. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray together? Father, we thank you for the grace of your word. Certainly, we can identify ourselves in many of the, the attributes of Abimelech, we're self-promoters, so quick to compromise. Ambition sometimes controls us. Father, we are so grateful today for the voice of Jesus that keeps pointing us back to God, that keeps pointing us back to a Father whose arms are wide open. We thank you, God, today for the reminder of your word in this narrative 
of your grace that calls us, a grace that pleads for us to come home. Father, we would ask now that you would cause in the hearts of many of your people here a desire to go back, a desire to go home, a desire to return to the Father. All of us in this house will either be conquered by life this week or we'll be conquerors in life this week because of the power of God. We need you to bring life. We need you to bring hope. We need you to bring light in the middle of some pretty dark days. It's in Christ, the greater Jotham, that we pray together. Amen.